The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. When we are feeling stressed and emotional, we often are fighting our strongest cravings for food. Who hasn't at one time or another felt the need to eat a block of chocolate, tub of ice cream, packet of biscuits or chips when we feel great sadness, anxiety, loneliness, or just feeling stressed out that all we can think about is our desperate need to eat food? Today we speak with much loved Dr. Kat, the founder and director of the School of Body Confidence about emotional stress eating. Dr. Kat holds numerous scholarships, awards, science degrees and a doctorate in exercise physiology and biotechnology and a postgraduate certificate in counselling. Dr. Kat not only has professional expertise on this topic, but has lived the experience of suffering her own eating struggles. What is the difference between emotional or stress eating, or are they the same? I think I think they're the same, but different. So emotional or stress eating is one thing, and then there's binge eating. What I typically see with my own clients, and also myself from an anecdotal point of view, mm. is that typically you'll start with emotional eating. That is, you will respond to dealing with uncomfortable emotions mm. by eating, so you can subdue those emotions. Yeah. After long periods of time, emotional or stress eating can actually become quite addictive and turn into binge eating. So you might actually just start eating without having any trigger, any kind of emotional trigger. Okay, so you you might start being an emotional stress eater and then if you don't learn to manage it? Correct. It yeah. could become binge eating. Yeah, it's okay. sort of similar to drug use going into drug abuse. You know, it starts with, hey, it's Friday night and I just, I've had a long week, so I'm just going to, you know, s- smoke a doobie or something yeah. like that. And then it gets into more uh, regular use. Okay. So when we're emotional or stressed out, what makes us go, I have to eat? And that's going to make me feel better. Is it something physiological going it's, on or? It's interesting because. Some of my clients who deal with a lot of stress, actually, it makes them eat less, whereas others, it makes them eat more. So we have these, again, that's a difficulty with research and trying to figure out what actually causes emotional eating. Yes. It's going to be different for everyone. So the question is, is it genetic? Mm-hmm. Is it due to changes in the microbiome? We now know that depending on the type of mix of bacteria that you have, you might have a certain predisposition to want more carbohydrates yes. versus fats and protein. Is it because that you weren't taught how to deal with emotions? It as simple as that, quote unquote. Yes. Is it because of cultural factors? I mean, there's just, it's so such a complicated- influences. Absolutely. Because yeah. you don't know, as you said, if you were you had that conditioning as a child, maybe you saw someone, you saw had parents that maybe dealt with their stress in that way Mm -hmm. and so then you followed that pattern. But as you say, is it sort of unknown? There's so many influences. So many influences. So I think to say what causes an eating disorder in one person is going to be very, very difficult. This this idea of notion of causality is very difficult. Mm. I think... The two factors that I see and what research shows is if you have a person that is dieting or is concerned about their body shape or body weight and they have high levels of stress, whether that's perceived or actual stress in their life, 
the risk of binge eating goes through the roof. Yeah. And couple that with the presence of palatable foods, meaning that, you know, really fat, sugary, yummy foods, the the risk goes through the roof. There's other factors involved, mm. but those ones are the ones that we know can increase the slippery slope of binge yeah. eating. And we're living in such a stressful life. Mm-hmm. You know, even children are living in much more stress than what I remember growing up. Are you seeing in your um, in your practice it increasing the amount of us going out there and emotionally and stress eating? It is, and I think it's related to because of the strict diets that are out there and because of the misinformation around diets, I think that's another factor. But the the prevalence that I see of orthorexia, which is essentially when the search to become healthy becomes unhealthy, meaning, and I sort of joke about this, that it starts with, hey, I'm just going to eat a few more vegetables, but then eventually it has to be that the pea has to be raised by monks and it has to be grass-fed and it has to be completely, strictly X, Y, Z. Yes. So when that happens, then we're dealing with rules and black and white thinking. So I can't eat that. I must not eat that. And it's kind of like telling a kid, don't do that. What's the first thing they do? They bloody well do the thing you told them not to do. And it's the same with adults. The more you tell someone you can't eat that, the more they're going to want it. And in terms of stress or emotional eating, do you see or is there stats to suggest that more men or women do it or what's your thoughts on that? I think there's more there's more research directed at females and sort of like we were talking about yes. before because we're sort of still considered the emotional race um, or mm. the, the emotional, I guess you could say race, couldn't you? Yeah. Um, that perhaps there's more research with women, but that's definitely not to say that men don't deal with emotional eating by or any stress means or stress If they're eating. in a stressful job mm. and, I mean, I've found myself when I've been in stressful jobs or under pressure, mm. you know, you just don't you miss meals and then you make up for it because you think oh that cake looks very nice <laughs> that's it and that's the uh, research has actually showed that it's not necessarily that you're dealing with some stressful life event it could just be be that you just don't have regular meals or that you just have sporadic meals and that can actually increase the chance of going into a binge eating cycle so mm. you can see medical doctors have insane routines and yes. insane schedules. And I, I know in the past, I've actually worked with several medical doctors and you know I just have to tell them, have a snack in your pocket or something yeah. simply just to keep those energy levels up during the day. But it's very difficult, and, very difficult. And do you think it's a, you know, only adults can suffer this or do you think children too, sort of when they're teenagers perhaps and they're doing their year 11 and 12, you know, they're ex- during exam times and things. Do you think younger and younger children are getting affected by emotional stress? I think eating? younger and younger. I think just children are growing up faster nowadays. Yeah. And what what they're seeing again is like with any other eating disorders that if there's a major change in your life from going from grade school to high school, high school yes. to college, or if your parents split up, those kind of traumatic kind of changes, whether they're objectively stressful or not, if they're seen as stressful change, then the risk of binge eating can go up. And so is it possible to stop being an emotional stress eater? 100%. How? What's the secret? 100%. (laughs) We all need to have sessions with Dr. Kat. You know what? It's so what I, what I do in the, in the workshop that uh, I've just done is I always say, know thy enemy. 
And that's really half of what I do nowadays is based on education. And the only way that I've really been able to fix myself is to learn about myself. Mm. So, and as I always say, education is free. Learn more about your behaviors. So what I've done over many 40 years, I guess, of dealing with emotional eating is I've split a binge into four different stages. There's the trigger stage, typically mm -hmm. when we're dealing with those uncomfortable emotions. Then we have the urge stage, which yes. is very similar to an addict stage of like urging to yeah. have a hit of drugs. Then we have the behavioral stage, which in this case is the eating stage. And then we have the post-eating uh, um, stage, which is this shame stage. That's when you're dealing with high levels of guilt and yes. remorse. So the two stages that you can curtail a binge are the trigger stage. And that's simply by increasing your emotional intelligence. A lot of times, you know, when I ask someone how they're doing, they just say, yeah, I'm okay. Mm. But they're not okay. So it's really, really defining and not generalizing how you're feeling. You're not just okay, how you're feeling frustrated, I'm overwhelmed, I'm pissed off at my husband or I'm pissed off at my wife. Really try to target exactly what you're feeling because the more defined you can be, the more you can change those behaviors. So it's really increasing your emotional vocab and yep. then using words instead of your mouth for words and speaking and expressing how you're feeling rather than putting food in your mouth. That's it. Because typically when you can define a, an emotion, you can normalize it. And that allows yourself to distance yourself from that emotion. Because as I kind of explained, it's kind of like having an octopus on your face. Yes. If the If the octopus is an emotion, it's very hard to breathe, very hard to see things clearly when you have an emotion right over your face. Yes. So it's not saying these emotions are bad. It's just removing yourself from those emotions so you can understand them better and then you can dismiss their power over you. Mm. So it sounds sort of almost very like woo-woo, but at the end of the day, we know from a cognitive point of view, we can't be logical if we're highly emotional. Yeah. It's it's kind of like the two things can happen. So emotional eating or stress eating, eating when we're stressed is very conditional. So we have need to change the condition. Yep. And then there's conditions. So you can be conditioned by an environment. So for example, a lot of my clients will binge eat in a car. As mm -hmm. soon as they get in a car, they think, okay, I'm going to grab snacks. And, and it's something that you don't even recognize. It's yeah. just a pattern. Or it could be that a situation happens, you know, boss yells at you, so you go into the staff yes. room, you, you get a cookie. So that's the first stage that you can really start to manage your emotions better and increase, as you said, your emotional vocabulary. The second stage is the urge stage, and this is typically when we see more addicted, uh, addictive kind of behaviors rather than just emotional And this behaviors. is when you find yourself in the car going to the deli and you think, how did I get from here? That's right. <laughs> and or then you're at the deli in front of the lollies and you're thinking, hmm, how yeah. has this happened so quickly? <laughs> you almost get into a robotic-like trance. Mm. And that's essentially what's happening there is that we have this stress response Typically, a person will feel high levels of anxiety. Yes. So that we have the stress response, cortisol is being released, et cetera, et cetera. You know, norepinephrine, epinephrine. So we have the heart rate going, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Then we also have dopamine being released. Dopamine is essentially a seek kind of 
um, neurotransmitter. It essentially tells our brain, hey, this is really important. You need to have this. Mm. So it pushes you. It drives you. Is it like a survival? Like you need this for for your survival? Like go yeah. and get it. So combine those two together, the dopamine, dopamine and the stress response. And essentially your brain is thinking, I need to have this chocolate cake because if I don't, I might die. Yeah. And that's how it feels. Oh, it feels like if I absolutely. don't, ha- if I don't do this binge, I'm not sure if I'm going to be around. Like that's that's yeah. really you get into it's this fixated mode, uh, mode. And same thing happens when you're seeking drugs. I previously have done. God, I always joke that I've done more cocaine than to kill a horse. But um, but at that time when you're really seeking drugs, that's yeah. all you can think of, and your brain goes into short-term survival mode. They, yeah. You're not thinking about the next morning or the assignment that you have to put yes. in because that doesn't matter at that time. All that matters is you get that darn food. Yes. So what we have to do is actually have to understand that that voice is trying to trick us. Yeah. And it's just neurological junk. It's essentially something that's just been it's strengthened. junk in our trunks. Junk, junk, <laughs> junk in our hood, junk in our, in our brain. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So it's almost like if you've learned a golf swing and, a, and you've just been uh, like learned it in a really, really bad way, mm. you have to retrain your brain to smooth out that golf swing. So it's going to take time and practice. Some people are able to just say, oh, my God, I've never, ever recognized that voice. You bloody bitch. Yeah. I'm never listening to you again, and they never binge again. Yeah, right. And that's it. Other people, you know, it's- Take time. Take time. It's kind of like I say, an abuser to a a abusee that is going to take seven times for a woman or a man to leave their abuser. So it's the same thing with little Miss Urge, as I call her. It's going to take you time to say, you know what? You no longer serve me. Mm. Yes, you might have helped me get through some rough times, but you know what? You don't serve me anymore. Binging so is no when longer you're an in option. That, when you're in that urge, mm-hmm. so you unfortunately miss the first phase yep. and you're stuck in that second phase, what is like something practical that you could do to get yourself out of that urge? Yep, so delay is really important. And as I say, distracting yourself with a healthy high. Yeah. And I I put healthy high there because I, I don't want people... Just to clarify. Just to clarify. <laughs> but because we still want that euphoric high, right? Yes. We still want that. So it's kind of like a Band-Aid approach. So it's not really practical when people say... Do five star jumps or something no. if, you, if you don't like. So if, it's finding something that actually pleases you. Yes. A, 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 a genuine, something genuine that you think, oh, I actually really enjoy that. I'm going to yep. get this moment and do this with this moment. Yes. So reach out to someone because you feel immense amounts of shame. Shame does not survive when you share it with someone else, but also to distract yourself because what you want to do is get those stress levels down and for the dopamine levels to come down as well. Because when those are gone, you're like, oh, what was I even thinking? Mm. Because then then your rational brain turns back on and says, oh yeah, you didn't need that. And the more you do that, the easier it gets. And what are you a fan of... Um if you know you eat lots of ice cream when you're in that urge and so don't have ice cream in the in the house are you one of those 
sort of like, yeah, well, not, don't have it in the house then. <laughs> whatever, whatever works for you. But yeah. I personally, from a personal point of view, I definitely don't have anything in the house because even just going to the store, that takes time. Yes. And in that time, you have the potential to talk back to that urge voice. Yeah. And you never know, you might bump into someone, have a great conversation yeah. with someone, then you're like, oh, why was I even doing that in the yeah. first place? So there's always opportunities to So delay. find, so some tips, find things that might delay that urge. Is yep, that a good so one? three tips would be find something to delay yourself and something that gets you into a state of flow or distraction. Yeah. Uh, number two is to reach out to someone yeah. and, and really just talk to them. And number three, I've totally forgotten. <laughs> so well, clearly- it could be find an alternative, as you said, find an alternative joy. That's yeah. That's a real alternative joy. I Absolutely. Think nothing um, is more upsetting when someone tells you, oh, I don't know, go and eat a go and do something and you think, well, I don't really find that or go and have a chamomile tea. It's like, well, if I don't like chamomile tea, why would I replace it with chamomile tea? That's it. You know what I mean? Some people give you unrealistic um, alternatives Alternatives. and then you think, well, I've been having this and then why would I replace it with that? Exactly. It's kind of like (laughs) telling a heroin addict, oh, don't worry about the heroin. Why don't you just have a piece of chocolate cake instead? Yeah. It it's not the same high and that's the thing we really have to understand that we're we're talking to our neurology these brain signals that are so incredibly powerful yeah that it's very hard to rationalize with them you know when when they're being trained over time and trained to seek this behavior that makes us feel so good yeah but for such a short period of time and that's what our brain remembers it remembers that millisecond after you have that first bite where you have this reward pathway response of opiates essentially Mm. you get a high off it yes so as i always say to people that are dealing with emotional eating you have to sort of look at yourself like a drug addict Mm -hmm. don't expect to do this alone it's okay to reach out for help because you're not going to be able to talk back to that urge voice by yourself the urge voice has been taken from a rational recovery which is to help people with addictions recover from addiction so it's the same techniques right yeah Follow, definitely have someone in your family or that's someone you live with that yep. you could reach out to and say, this is what I'm trying to do for myself. Yep. I need your support. Absolutely. Yeah. And why is it some of us seem to, you know, be very disciplined with our eating and others not? Again, it comes back to all those factors, how we were raised, our genetics, um, you know, our our you know, current lifestyle, what does it look like, our goals. You know, I know that a lot of, you know, uh, couples that are going to get married, both a man and woman, they have this goal to look a certain way for their wedding. Yeah, and then as soon as sometimes the wedding happens. (laughs) That that goes off. And athletes, you know, will even go into these cycles as well. So it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah, And I think that goes back to one of your other wonderful lessons is don't have too many rules and boundaries. So what happens when we've... We try really hard with putting some of your practical tips to practice Mm -hmm. and occasionally we're going to go, I really want to have that cake or whatever. (laughs) What's your thoughts on that? Oh, God, cake is life. Yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine. I, so many years of my life, I didn't have cake, and yeah. all those years wasted. <laughs> but um, I think it's dip, it speak to yourself like you would speak to a friend. Yeah, you know, while you're eating that cake, there's no point of eating the cake 
if you're going to be punishing yourself throughout the entire time. Yeah. If you're going to eat the cake, eat the damn cake and enjoy, enjoy every it. bite and say, you know what? I'm enjoying this. I can eat this. I'm allowed to eat this rather than saying I shouldn't be eating this. Yeah. I'm a bad person. So really speak to it like you're speaking to your sister, your daughter, your mother. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's really savouring whatever experience that is for someone that loves it because I love a croissant, like a really nice croissant. Lakey. And I found a really nice croissant shop and I just think, you know what, if I'm going to have a croissant, I'm going to have one of the best croissants in Perth. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm really going to enjoy it rather than, as you say, giving myself a guilt trip about it. Yeah, and that's why I love the slow movement with food that's yeah. really, really starting to really pick up here. You know, understanding the nose to tail concept, yes. understanding how food is made, where it's grown, because then you actually start appreciating it. Whereas nowadays you just go out, you get, you know, a meal made for you in a millisecond or it's pre-prepared so you don't really have the opportunity to understand what you're eating or savor it because yeah, you eat it as quick as it was made and so do you have um some client stories or a story you could tell so we know that there's light at the end of the tunnel i have one of my favorite stories is a lady that actually came to my two-day retreat yeah and she, I, I said to everyone there, they, they all have my personal number. And I say, if you ever get into a bond and you just think, I need to reach out to someone and you can't contact someone, call me. Yeah. And she called me and she said, I'm at the, sh I, I just finished at the grocery store. My trunk is filled with binge food and I'm about to eat it all. I'm about to go home and I know my husband's there. What should I do? And I said, Aww. go home, go into this go into the house, get your husband to come out to the car, open the trunk and say, this is what I'm about to do. I don't want to do it anymore. And she did it. And what happened? She had this massive cry. He said, I'm so glad that you told me uh -huh. and didn't binge and has been great ever since. And that's really about sharing. Yeah. You know, we, we feel sometimes, especially with our partners, we have to live these lies. We have to live these, mm. you know, mass lies in our, in our um, you know, in our day-to-day -day life. And one of the things that I do with my partner all the time is that if I do feel a bit yucky after eating mm. something, the first thing I do is I call him and tell him if he's not obviously in Perth. Yeah. And he just says, okay. And I'm like, okay, moving on. Yeah. And that's it. So it's almost like we've got into a society where we don't want to show our vulnerabilities. Mm. And so, but the moment we actually start sharing our vulnerabilities, you realise, and certainly at the workshop I attended uh, last, your workshop the other week, and it was amazing having a whole room full of people yeah. sharing and saying, yeah, and knowing and realising that they aren't alone and that there's lots of people that have found comfort in food yeah. and are doing their best to find alternatives. <laughs> That's it. And there's nothing wrong with them. Yes. That's the thing. You know, it's, it's the hardest part is actually showing up for the workshop. And I get so many messages saying, I would really like to come, but I just cannot put my face in public when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. So these people that have rocked up ha are... 99% of the work is just showing up. Yeah. So in terms of people listening today, what are some so some signs where you think, oh, this is not working for me anymore, I am an emotional eater? What are the, the signs that you start thinking, yeah, this is not a good relationship I have with food? With food. 
The one thing is control. Um, when you look down at your plate, do you feel like I can stop if I want to a third way through, two thirds of the way through? Do you have that control? Is there high levels of guilt surrounding food? Mm. Do you eat much more than what you would consider as normal in a short period of time? Those are the kinds of things really to focus on at the start. And then do you eat in secret? Mm. You know, are you trying to eat? Um, I know when I had a severe eating disorder, I would eat absolutely nothing in front of people and then I would gorge at home mm. because I, I wanted to maintain that, hey, I'm the healthy person that can control yes. my diet. So it's, it's, I think a lot of people know when they're at that point, and I'm, but they don't know what to do. Just picturing now the people, when you say that, there was people that, that really opened up and said that they were, for instance, working as personal trainers, but were, had a whole different life going on. And I think, yeah, it's so sad we have lost that feeling of being comfortable with telling people who we are and mm. being okay with that. Absolutely. So once we've started recognising, okay, these I am fitting some of those criteria, so then the next step would be reach out for help. And, and you've got a wonderful book out, I know. Um, but what are some and, – and they can come and have sessions with people like yourself. What are yeah. some – uh, I suppose – The next steps. Yeah, the next step. So they've yeah. got the awareness, where to from here? If they want to take just a delicate first step, I have uh, the Confidence Club on Facebook. It's free to join. They don't have to post. They don't have to do anything. They can just see and hear from other people that are somewhat like them or like me as well. The Butterfly Foundation is a fantastic free yeah, foundation. Yeah, very good. You can reach out. Uh, they do have phone-ins. Um, there's two clinics, uh, especially in Perth, if finances are a problem, the Robin Wrinkler Clinic at the University of WA is fantastic. I actually went there when I was a student. Yeah. Their sessions are only $30 per hour. You're you're going to sessions with master students, but they're fantastic. Mm. And also the Caledonia Clinic at Murdoch, so very okay. low-cost options. Yeah. Senior GP, if, if you're really struggling, that's probably a fantastic first step because he or she can refer you on to a specialist. Yeah. There's lots of, and at the end of the day, if you just really don't know what to do, email me and I'll, yeah. I'll help you as much as I can. And I'll make sure all those con contacts are definitely in the episode notes. Yeah. And in terms of just quickly on body confidence, mm -hmm. um, do you think underlining it is a confidence issue? For some people, yes. Mm. So um, when we go back to if you're worried about your size or your weight and you have the high levels of stress, the risk goes through the roof. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily have to be those two factors. Body confidence is a, is a very complex topic and the irony mm. is that it has very little to do with what your body looks like. It has to do with how you think your body looks like, how you feel about your body. So again, we're getting back to how do we control and how do we, I guess, respond better to the emotions that are going through our heads and bodies, yeah. if that makes sense. Because it just... we. We're taught how to do our ABCs, one, two, threes in school, but we're never taught how to deal with sadness, frustration, yeah. anger. And, and, and that's it's really, really taking care of our emotional health. We're so um, caught up, I think, on this whole physical, physical health. Mm -hmm. But I think unless our emotional health is in check, it's really hard to manage your physical health. Absolutely. And they have a direct correlation. We do know that high levels of stress yes. and high levels of uh, inability, inability to control emotions are 
correlated to heart, I'm sorry, to health problems. Yes. So we know that. We know that stress, for example, causes dysbiosis in our gut. Dysbiosis in our gut can lead us to eating different things or different autoimmune disorders. I mean, it's everything's connected again. Yes, as we're a all, hippie as that it's all connected, man. But yeah. it really is. Yeah, it really is. We're a whole person, so we need to start looking at our mind, how it's affecting yep. our thoughts, and that's then it. that's affecting what we do. Brain and gut we, connection. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for today. Oh, my And I will make pleasure. sure all the episode notes will have all your fabulous um, details. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. A big thank you to Dr. Kat for sharing her knowledge. And to find out more about Dr. Kat, visit drkatherine.com. For more resources on this health topic, refer to the podcast episode notes. And please always remember to reach out and speak with your doctor. You've been listening to MediTalk, a podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You can follow MediTalk Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review this podcast via iTunes or your podcasting app. If you have any health topics you would like to hear discussed, please email them to danae at meditalk.com.au. Thanks for listening.